0: Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed, it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support
1: us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. It's been an extraordinarily moving and uh, encouraging weekend. I know uh, many of you, certainly not all of you, were able to be with us. Um, at the 24 7 national gathering and um, i really do want to uh, thank uh, Trudy and mark for for their leadership uh, and actually the members of red church for making it all possible the way that you have served and given uh, and prayed and has has been extraordinary and uh, it has been a blessing to the body of Christ, and so uh, thank you. And uh, those of you who couldn't be at, at, at the, the, the the gathering, there was this very uh, moving moment. Uh, Glenn called it like a, a movie moment, where uh, Mark stood up on the stage and said, I want to <laughs> welcome the the new National Director of 24-7 Prayer in Australia. And she has walked through cancer and chemo to be here today. Would you welcome my wife, Trudy Sayers? And we all went crazy, then Trudy came up and she said, um, one, this is gonna sound weird, but one of the things that's got me through chemo was the prospect of this conference of, of being together to do this thing because I know God has put me on earth to do this. And so we want to thank you guys for your faithfulness and your leadership and your resilience and we want to thank God for his faithfulness and what he's doing. This is not cheap. This is not a game. This is not hype. If there is a God in heaven and if there's power in prayer. Then it's high time we stop playing trivial pursuits with our precious lives and got on and prayed like there really is a god and lived like his great commission really is our commission and as if heaven and hell were present realities amen and so thank you for modeling how to do that for us um so thanks for this invitation to speak Um, I'm deeply conscious that in many ways, um, for those of you in in Red Church, I know that that there are a number of visitors here this evening, Uh, this has been an extraordinarily challenging few years for individuals here uh, and for this expression of the body of Christ. Obviously, we've all gone through the nightmare that was COVID. I don't know about you, sometimes I have to pinch myself and think, did we really live through that and uh, you know the late great tim keller who was a pastor for i think 30 years in new york city said it was interesting to note that after 9 11 it was two years later that the trauma really began to come out with pastors resigning and all sorts of other um, expressions of pain manifesting in uh, New York society. And here we are a couple of years on really from COVID and I suspect some of the things that we're seeing manifest all around us are some of the pain and trauma of that coming out. I know that in uh, Red Church there has been some significant relational uh, pain. Uh, I know that uh, we're all uh, feeling the crisis in the wider culture and particularly Uh, disappointments in terms of church leaders, and um, then, of course, there are the the, the painful situations, such as Trudy's journey that we've talked about. I know you'll all have your own stories, too. And so, this is a difficult time, and yet it is also a time of great hope and favour. There was something extraordinary that just took place here in this city, thanks to uh, Trudy and Mark and this church, as hundreds of people came together with a hunger uh, for God and to grow in prayer. I often say that, that, that you know, answering prayer is easy for God. He, he, miracles are not... You know, he doesn't have to clench his buttocks and think, oh no, they want a miracle from me. He's God. We we, we think the great thing is when a miracle happens. The great thing as far as God is concerned, the greatest miracle that can happen as far as God is concerned is when a proud human kneels and cries out to Him. The greatest miracle is when God's people finally turn to Him in prayer. And what happens next is God's business, not ours. Amen? And so when I see hundreds of people in this nation coming together, Serious, not just about seeking God, but about mobilizing their friends, their churches, their communities to intercede. When I see um, many people flying over from New Zealand saying, we've got to catch hold of this and run with this, I see a work of God that has already begun. You notice so often amongst Christians, we're always on the brink of some never-never land, someone prophesying in something that may or may not happen, and after a few years you start to get a little cynical about it. I'm telling you this is not future tense, this is present tense. We are seeing the Spirit of God mobilizing people to be hungry for Him in prayer, and that is in itself an answer to prayer. And so that there's great encouragements uh, in these days. And, uh, 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 you know, Johann's story that we just heard, it, it, I think you just need to kind of pinch yourself. And when you hear a story like that, you know, it, 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 it's remarkable. He's there at the gym, ends up sharing his faith. I'm trying to get better, more courageous at sharing my faith, by the way. I was challenged recently to be, to, you know, I'd got a little too nice, a little too polite uh, I, I thought I must never offend people. I think I was so reacting against people who, who think that uh, it, 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 it's okay to be rude when you're doing evangelism, but I'd so overreacted to that that I was just being so nice that I was never offending anyone and actually I was hardly talking about Jesus to non-Christians. And uh, I was challenged about this um, last week by some Iranian Christians who been put in prison for sharing their faith. And uh, I thought, I've really got to step my game up. And then we went out for a meal. Sorry, it was a week before last, it was Friday. And then, and then Friday before last, we went out for this meal to this restaurant. And at the end of it, the owner of the restaurant, um, a friend of ours had come into the restaurant, who we knew from, um, he's uh, actually the chairman of the 24-7 International Board. He came in, uh, he's a quite a successful lawyer. And um, so we, we, we were chatting to him, and, and the, the owner of the restaurant said, how do, how do you know him? How do you know this guy? And I was about to think, oh yeah, we do some charity work together, you know, that, ho- that whole thing. Uh, and I thought, no, I've got to speak up. So I said, we're Christians. <laughs> we're Christians. And uh, I haven't told you yet, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and, um, and we run a Christian charity together like this. And I have to confess that the, the chair of 24-7 International, who's this eminent lawyer, looked a little uncomfortable at this point. And, and, and what happened next was quite extraordinary. The owner of the restaurant went to the door of the restaurant. We were the last people in there. And he locked the door. That's an interesting <laughs> thing. And he turned around. These were his almost actual words. Those of you who have non-Christian friends will know that they don't always speak politely so please don't be offended, but the the owner of the restaurant, and I'm going to have to slightly paraphrase because some of you look delicate, (laughs) his response was as he locked the door, locked us in, he said, I need to know more. He said, I effing love theology. Which was not what we... He didn't say effing. It's not what we expected. And he poured himself a generous drink and sat down. We talked about an hour. And he just texted Sammy, was it yesterday, the day before, saying, we need to continue that conversation. When can I come for coffee? Now, it's not everything, but... We've just got to stop being so polite all the time because we are living in a world that is increasingly going to effing love theology because they think they might just be on earth for more than what is on offer in the newspapers and from our politicians because no sane human being holds a newborn baby and says, behold, a biological fluke born into a meaningless universe. No one who's half sane looks up at the stars at night and says, well, none of that means anything at all. No one who gets a terminal diagnosis walks home from the doctors thinking, I really should pray, but I don't think I believe this stuff. The very root of the word prayer is the Latin precarious. We pray because life is so precarious we cannot cope without God. And by the way, it is also too wonderful to cope without God. And so we wander around on this planet full of worship and full of prayer because to be human is to pray. And we live in a world, therefore, surrounded by people who may not go to church but they effing love theology. (laughs) So make sure you don't miss the conversations. Ash, come and tell your story. Yeah, about how is that are you Ash? Come on, how, just say just, just just a quick version. Just come and quickly say how, how you encountered Jesus. Come
0: on. Um, hello, I'm Ash. Um, you know, I was 19, I'm 27 years old and, you know, my precious nonna came from Italy. She's a Catholic. She loved Jesus, never read the Bible. But yet I knew that she carried a love towards him. But for me, Jesus was a knowledge. it's this concept. And with humility, I didn't know that we existed I didn't know that there were churches with people in them talking about theology. <laughs> if you will, I didn't, I didn't have a grid. I got kicked out of school when I was a kid and I was longing and I was searching for a father. And I love my family, but yet I come from a pretty broken home and I found myself addicted to a lot of drugs running with a lot of dangerous people and five years worth of demonic oppression caused me to get on my knees and cry out to the God that I knew about in my head, but I didn't realize that you could actually know him. Long story short, as these demons began to caused me to go into a direction of death. I had an encounter with Jesus after being introduced to him in a vision, not by a person, but rather the person of the Holy Spirit that was drawing my heart. And now I believe that God's put me here to encourage us to share the one we love. To love Jesus is to love the person in front of us. And the direct way that Jesus receives our love is the way that we love those here.
1: Thank you. Oh, wow. Brilliant. So Ash seeks God and Jesus reveals himself to Ash in a vision, and Johan is at the gym, remember, <laughs> and tells this girl about Jesus, and she says, someone else already told me about Jesus, and and uh, and I, I said yes to him, and uh, so then Johan connects with Joel, and they're seeking God together, and And God speaks to Joel the very thing that he's already spoken to Johan, which is young people in a room, 24-7 prayer and revival. And... So, uh, you know, listen, this stuff is not everything, but you better believe it's something. And it seems to me if God can do this, he can do something else. We do not pray ex nihilo. We do not pray out of nothing into something. Instead, we go around and find the sparks of what he is doing and pour gasoline on the sparks. That's why it's important to rejoice always. That's why it's important to have a posture that says, more, Lord. Lord, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? As we see celebrate the small things that God is doing, we find faith for the things that God has not done yet. And so if you focus on all the things He is not doing, you will become depressed and cynical. But if you spend time with people who are full of joy, if you spend time seeking out the things God is doing, you will live with greater hope. Amen? And so uh, it's not everything, but it's something, and the somethings are what gives us faith for the not-yets. And so I want to just speak a little bit into this strange space we find ourselves, where on one hand things are incredibly difficult and incredibly tough, and yet on the other hand we find that there is great hope. And I'm going to speak out of one of the key catalytic texts uh, for us in the 24-7 prayer movement, because I believe it's a word... For many of you at this time. And uh, this is a wonderful story. You'll be familiar with it. Uh, It's Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. If you're able to do so, would you stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word in the Holy Scriptures? This is Ezekiel 31, verses 1 uh, to 14. And uh, I'm just going to read it, we won't read it all together. But uh, here we go. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. This is very wise when God asks you a question. Try and ask it back if you possibly can. (laughs) Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life and I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So... I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skins covered skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel and then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land and then you will know That I am the Lord. Amen. Declares the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Isn't this a stunning description of our present predicaments? Isn't it precisely what we long to see dry bones rising? The four winds somehow galvanized to revive the church. We have lived together through a season of so much death and despair, and we long to see it turning to life and hope. We find ourselves surrounded by people who are saying our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. The people of Israel were living in exile. They had lost hope. Their hope in the purposes of God were lodged in the place of Jerusalem. And here they are, their daily reality. It's not just that they are exiles. It's not just that they are, as it were, slaves. It is that their very hope, their very identity and destiny is being defied by present reality on a daily basis. And it may well be that you you here this evening feel a bit like this in your own life. There are areas of hopelessness where you feel forgotten. You feel like all the joy and life has been sucked out of you, like you've missed out on your destiny. Maybe there's hopelessness in your marriage, Or maybe you are struggling academically. I felt like God spoke to me of someone that that you are struggling academically more than anybody knows. Maybe your heart feels broken. Life feels pointless. And so these are challenging times. But how do we respond to them? Well, first of all, notice... Ezekiel speaks with extraordinary authority, but that authority begins with intimacy. We read verse 1a, the hand of the Lord was on me. Do you know the hand of the Lord upon you? Verse 1b, he brought me out. The Lord was leading him. He set me down, verse 1c. He led me back, verse 2. He asked me, verse 3. He said to me, verse 4. His relationship with God is real. It is conversational. It is disruptive. The context for everything that is about to happen is the reality of Ezekiel's relationship with the living God. Sam and I have some great friends who, um, <laughs> they have more money than us, I mean I don't know any other way to say it, and and uh, that, you know, on one occasion, um, James, the husband, he, he's, he, he owns businesses that you would all have heard of, uh, James came to me and said to me, um, do you and Sammy and your boys fancy coming on holiday with us sometime? And it's one of those moments you don't check your schedule because they just have better holidays than us, you know. So I'm like, yes, we're free. He said, I, I haven't told you when it is yet. I said, we're free. And the holiday was this. They'd rented out a catamaran, you know, one of those dual-hulled yachts in Croatia. And we were going to have a week uh, sailing on the, uh, the Adriatic Ocean, together with our family of four in one hull and their family of five in the other hull, and we basically kind of watch dolphins by day and meet together in the middle at night and and have al fresco food, you know and uh, it was genuinely as wonderful as, as, as it sounds. We, the, the, the seas were just turquoise. Uh, the the conditions were perfect. Every night we'd drop anchor in a little cove and, you know, our boys would just jump overboard and swim around as the sun set. Eventually we'd pull them out, we'd wrap them in little snuggly white towels and we'd sit around, we'd eat together. It was just idyllic. And one particular night, the the sunset had been even more impressive and the water, I just remember, was, was still as a mirror. And we're sitting there, the boys are wrapped in their towels, we're just about to eat together. When this cloud of mosquitoes rose up against us. And some of you are so burnt out right now, you're thinking, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it happens today. And I just want to say thanks so much for that. So... So the clouds of mosquitoes come, and my friend James, James came a Christian in his early 20s through the Alpha Course. My friend James immediately just begins to pray. And he goes, oh, Father God, would, would you just take away these mosquitoes now in the name of Jesus? And, and, and I'm sitting there thinking this is a stupid prayer. That's what I'm thinking. But the trouble is I, I look around because I have got my eyes shut. Uh, and Sammy there and our kids and uh, and James's wife and their kids, they all have their eyes shut, their hands in the air, they're praying, oh yeah, we rebuke the spirit of midginess in the name of Jesus. You know, they're giving it all that. And I'm just thinking this is ridiculous. I've written books about why God doesn't answer prayers like this. And um, it's ridiculous for at least three reasons. Uh, you know, the first is that um mosquitoes sort of probably have some important role in you know ecology and creation i could find it out from wikipedia but i can't be bothered to uh the second reason is that um you know god is just busy i mean <laughs> the middle east and stuff and probably too busy to intervene to optimize the alfresco dining arrangements of posh people on yachts and the Adriatic. Do you know what I mean? And the third, the third reason I thought it was a stupid prayer was more pastoral. And it was this, when, not if, God did not answer the prayer and we got eaten alive by mosquitoes, my kids would conclude that prayer wasn't real, their dad was wasting his life, and they'd grow up and become Satanists. So... <laughs> I, I was just sitting there, like seriously unhappy with the whole scenario. And uh, but uh, and 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 then something happened, which is I'm st- I'm actually still annoyed about it. Uh, I'm furious about it because just as they said "Amen," this gentle breeze arose and blew away the mosquitoes. <laughs> don't, don't don't clap. I mean. <laughs> They, you know and, 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 and on the boat it was it was it was like a street. They're all like thank you God for intervening <laughs> and I'm like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> I heard like hell down here when you choose to do this miracle. <laughs> Hello <laughs> I, and I I actually don't know to this day whether it was a miracle or just a meteorological fluke masquerading as (laughs) one. But here's what I know. If you only ever pray about really big things, then you'll only be very occasionally grateful. But when you learn to pray about tiny things, like mosquitoes, on a boat at dinner time. There is the potential that you can live with much greater gratitude because you end up worshipping God for a casual breeze on the Adriatic or a parking space outside the supermarket on a rainy November day. Do you understand? Intimacy with God, prayer at its best is daily conversation. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the evening. And I find that fascinating because they did that before there was any sin or sickness or suffering in the world. And most of us, all we ever talk to God about is sin and sickness and suffering. Heal this person, save this person, help me with that. So what on earth did they talk to God about when there weren't any problems in the world? And it must have been... Nice weather. I'm thinking of calling it a giraffe. <laughs> Why did, where did my belly button come from? If, <laughs> if <laughs> a couple of you are like, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh my goodness. Do you, do you understand you? Intimacy intimacy is not measured by intensity, but by proximity. Ezekiel's authority is flowing from this relationship he has with God where God moves him around, God speaks to him and he listens. God is an ever-present reality in his life. Some of the sort of um, story behind the twenty four seven prayer movement is this: When I was a long haired student, um, I, I spent one glorious summer hitchhiking around Europe uh, with my friend Nick, who, who's tall and handsome, and I, I sort of followed, I sort of followed him around Europe like with my skinny little legs, um, trying to keep up. And um, we ended up in Portugal, and we we, we Hitchhiked all along the south coast of Portugal. It's called the Algarve, stunning beaches and every night we'd light a fire on a, a, a cliff top and drink cheap Portuguese red wine and um, Cook fish fresh fish and then spend the days on the beaches. It was really lovely and uh, all, all you know for, for, for many days we we're traveling with the Mediterranean ocean on our left-hand side and then eventually I still remember the moment where we started to see the ocean appearing on our right-hand side the Atlantic Ocean, and the land got narrower until we were on the most south point of Europe. It's called Cape St. Vincent. The Romans thought it was the end of the world. And um, so we put our little tent up for the night on this little peninsula, and um, Nick fell asleep. And I, I, I woke up in the night. I couldn't sleep. I, I got out of the tent and there was just no light pollution. And so the st- it was like being lost in the, in the branches of a Christmas tree. It was just the stars were so bright. And I remember I stood and I, I looked south. And I thought, oh, beyond the Mediterranean is Africa. And I put my hands in the air and began to try and pray for Africa. And then I turned to the west, and looked at the Atlantic Ocean, I thought, "Oh, the next land beyond that is America, and I began to pray for America. God bless America. <laughs> and then I turned with my back to the two oceans, and there 's our little tents and the land rolling out and and I, I, I thought about how it rolls into Europe and then from Europe into you know um, russia and 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 you know, Middle East and Afghanistan, and I began to pray. And as I did so, um, I, I, I heard this buzzing electrical noise above my head, and, um, and I began to shake violently, which was unfamiliar to, to me and terrifying. And um, I remember I just looked up thinking there must be some wires over my head short-circuiting. And they, because they weren't, I was standing on a clifftop. And by the way, if you're going to shake violently, um, a, a, a clifftop's a, just a, a really bad place to do it. <laughs> and so this is happening to me, and and I suddenly get this CGI experience. I I have a vision. And for years I didn't talk about this because I thought everyone would think I was going crazy. But I, I, I saw um, just sort of... Trans, like overlaying the landscape in front of me, an atlas, you know, with all the different countries and different colors, and out of the pages of the atlas I saw just thousands and thousands of, of young people just rising out of the page, just, just, just awaiting orders. It was an army. And uh, I don't know how long it went on for, but eventually um, you know, I, I, I got into the tent and fell asleep. And as we hitchhiked back to London from, from Cape St. Vincent all the way, I said, God, what was that all about? I, I, what's this army? What did you just show me? I wasn't accustomed to things like that. And, uh, you know, um, it's a strange thing when God gives you a big vision. Because what on earth do you do next? And I, I just had to, you know, get a, I got a job in youth ministry because God had shown me an army of young people. I didn't know how does that happen, what is that? And so this great vision turned into just ones and twos and trying to make disciples and trying to care for some young people and often failing. On a good week, it was two steps forward, one step back. On a bad week, it was the other way around. I love the story of um, Francis of Assisi. You know, when God speaks to him in the ruins of the church in San Damiano out of the cross at the front and says to him, rebuild my church, three words, rebuild my church. You know, Francis would go on to rebuild the church of Jesus Christ in the most extraordinary way, in a way that would change history. But you know what he did immediately? He heard this voice was he bent down. And he started to pick up the rocks off the ground in the ruins of San Damiano and literally, physically rebuild those ruins. Can I suggest some of you have big visions, you have big calls on your life. But what is it immediately in front of you that you can do? It may not seem like even a fraction of the thing you're dreaming of and praying for, but start where you are. Start with what you've got. So I have a vision of an army of young people, and I'm just trying to disciple one or two where I can. And whatever the vision is, start where you are. And then we started that first prayer room that I mentioned earlier. Several years later, And the Lord started to move, and the thing began to spread out. And maybe that was the beginning of that vision getting fulfilled. Notice, too, in this passage that Ezekiel, I I love this, and people often miss this, has to persevere in prayer because the first time it doesn't really work. He gets a halfway miracle. He prophesies over the bones, and they turn into dead corpses. It's utterly pointless. Imagine if you'd stopped there, "Great job, We've created corpses. What happens when you leave corpses? They turn into bones. It's like a horror movie in reverse. Great job. <laughs> this is some. Do you, do you ever feel that? You pray and pray and God does a miracle, and you go, "What's the point of that miracle when I need another miracle?" What, what's the point of that thing you've done? It's only half of what I need from you. Jesus had the same problem. Jesus experienced halfway miracles. In Mark 8, we have that lovely story. He prays for the blind man. And, um, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, allegedly Mr. Nice Guy, spits in the mud, gets a good thick dollop of mud and rubs it in the eyes of a blind man. Just pause here. We're all like, yeah, Jesus, he's healing. No, 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 stop. If the miracle hadn't worked, (laughs) there's this blind go, Jesus Christ, don't mention him again. He rubbed mud in my eyes. as if I haven't suffered enough. You ever felt that? You cry out to God for help because you don't know where else to go and all he does is spits in the mud and rubs it in your eyes. (laughs) And then Jesus says, you know, how's it going? And he goes, well, I can see people. They look like trees. And Jesus goes, yeah, not quite there, are we? (laughs) And Jesus has to pray a second time, and he sees fully. You understand, even Jesus gets halfway miracles. Don't stop praying too soon. The great um, missionary to uh, a tribe in the Philippines, Frank Laubach. By the way, the only... Um, missionary ever to be featured on an American postage stamp because his lit- uh, literacy programs taught uh, well over a million people to read. Frank Laubach in his beautiful little uh, diary uh, published as, uh, I think it's Letters of a Modern Mystic, uses uh, a beautiful example. He says, um, prayer is often like chucking r- rocks in a swamp. Uh, and you imagine there's a big swamp there <laughs> And you come up to a guy and he's just throwing rocks into this swamp. And you go, what on earth are you doing? He just keeps throwing rocks in the swamp. It's the sum total of stupidity, right? Like prayer often feels like I'm just chucking rocks in a swamp. But Frank Laubach says the thing is this. If you keep chucking rocks in the swamp for long enough, eventually instead of a splat, you're going to hear a click and the rocks are going to begin to appear on the surface, and you're going to get to walk over. Don't stop chucking rocks too soon. Jesus told a parable explicitly to make that point. So I hitchhiked back from Cape St. Vincent, saying to God, over where I stop, where's this army, what was that all about? A number of years later, we start a prayer room, not really anything to do with trying to fulfil that vision of an army of young people, just because we were embarrassed to realise we're bad at prayer, and it's the key to everything. We probably ought to work out how to do it, and then the prayer room begins to spread. And I get invited to go and speak at a youth festival in a town in Spain, called a city in Spain called Valladolid. And I thought I hadn't been there before, and went. And it was a big deal. It was a thousand young people, which in the Spanish Christian context is vast. And there were all these different types of young people. And uh, you know, I, I, I spoke, and and then at the end, there's this um, thing that we always used to do in the 24/7 movement at the start. We, it was our war cry. We used to cry, "Come on to God!" In Spanish, it's "Venga, Venga," and and we, and, and we used to just cry, come on to God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. And we used to cry, come on to each other, you know, stir one another up towards love and good deeds. Iron sharpens iron. We used to cry, come on to ourselves. Bless the Lord, O my soul, let everything that is within me praise his holy name. Wake up, you sluggard. Anyone else have to address their soul like that once in a while? (laughs) Uh, And so I said to these thousand Spanish kids, come on, let's, let's do this war cry. And, you know, the band came up and went a bit crazy and we all start screaming, venga, venga. And as I look out at a 1,000 people in Spain doing a war cry, I suddenly realize I've been in this city before. I'd totally forgotten. The Lord reminded me, I sat on a park bench in the city of Valladolid as a long-haired student traveling back from Cape St. Vincent, and I had said to the living God, I don't see the army. Where is the army that's arising? And as if those years have passed, in the twinkling of an eye, I'm back, and I'm standing in front of a thousand young people doing a war cry, and the living God says to me, here they are. And I just fell on the ground, on the stage, weeping and weeping at God's goodness. And as I was there on the stage, he said to me, Pete, you need to understand, I never forget a single prayer you pray, even though you do. God never forgets a single prayer that you pray. They are atomic seeds They don't go away. They radiate energy for decades to come. That means there are things happening in your life right now that are the result of prayers you prayed long ago or that other people prayed for you that you don't even remember praying. That means that the prayers you pray now may take years of chucking rocks in a swamp, But eventually, the living God does not forget the prayers you pray, but they move his heart and he shapes lives and choreographs destinies accordingly. Finally, we see in this passage, of course, that God in his power, by his spirit, the four winds, resurrects hope. This story, of course, is both an echo of the creation narrative of Adam in Genesis 2. God breathes his spirit, his ruach, and a fistful of dust becomes a living human being. And it is also a premonition of the resurrection of the second Adam in the Gospels, who is lying as a corpse, preparing to become bones in a cave, and the four winds visit the cave, and the bones that have, and the corpse come back to life, and we have the beginning of the house of Israel rediscovering its hope. God breathes, and when I hear stories like the ones we've heard tonight, of the way that the Spirit of the Lord is working in Johann and Joel's life. And giving the vision of young people on campuses praying and his Spirit coming and turning a generation that is dry bones and a church that's saying we've been cut off and our hope is gone. I, I, I find hope. I hear the Spirit of the Lord. I hear bones rattling in our time. And, uh, you know, so I want us to respond now. It'd be great to get the band back, if that's all right. Um, You know, I I was asking Mark earlier, and he thinks there's around six or seven universities in uh, Melbourne. And um, I'd love us to pray in just a moment for those of you who are students, uh, or those of you who are, let's say, under 25, who are here today. I do know, because I Googled it earlier, that there are, at the University of Melbourne alone, there are 65,000 students. And 30,000 of those are from other countries. In fact, there are 130 nationalities on that campus. And so when God speaks to Johannes and Joel and says, young people, praying night and day, Revival coming. I, I think of the potential of the Spirit of God moving amongst students and young people in this city and what that could do in the nations of the earth. And you, you, even as I say it, some of you think that's not going to happen. I want to tell you a dead, crucified man can come back to life. And on that reality, I've staked my absolute future. And so to be a follower of Christ is to be someone who believes that God can take dry bones and make them corpses, and take corpses and breathe his life into them and create a massive army. And we need the church of Jesus Christ in our cities and our nations at this time to rediscover its hope. And so we prophesy to the bones, uh, and we see something stirring. Can I suggest to you, many of us would say, yeah, I think we're seeing bones turn to corpses, And we see God doing something in the church, but it's not enough. And so it's time to stand up and prophesy to the wind and say, come from the four corners of the earth, come Holy Spirit. Not just to give some nice feelings in Christian meetings for the gentle encouragement of Christians, but for the sake of a generation that effing loves theology and doesn't know it yet. For the sake of someone whose grandmother was a Catholic praying but didn't know God, who can encounter him in a dream and a vision, These things can happen in our time and so something within us says, Come Holy Spirit! Can I suggest that for 60, 70 years we've been gathering to say come Holy Spirit to our conferences and our church meetings and in his grace he's come. But my sense is that we live in a day where the Holy Spirit is saying for half a century I've been coming to your meetings and most of them have been fairly tedious and now I'm saying come holy people to my meetings with the lost and the broken and the people on the streets and restaurant owners who effing love theology and to the man in the Italian. Italian restaurant let's keep the bishop waiting because there is a world waiting for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the church of Jesus Christ to come alive in our day by the power of the Holy Spirit the power of the resurrection of Jesus and so guys if this doesn't make us pray this doesn't make us cry out to him can I suggest you need to get saved again because when you got saved your dream was that the kingdom of God would forcefully advance, that miracles would follow, that many would be baptized, that the church of Jesus Christ would be built and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, that he would be loved and honored in our generation. And if you're not willing to give your life for this, you probably don't yet know him, but if you've met him, you know that he is the hope of a generation that is lost in darkness. And whatever you think of yesterday's referendum, whatever you think of the general elections in New Zealand, however you're going to pray about the crisis in Israel, this I know that Jesus of Nazareth is the hope of the earth and this generation needs him more than ever let's stand together shall we so let's just get oh, all those of you who are under 25 I want, we long for a move of the spirit amongst This generation. There's increasing evidence that what we in England and you in Australia call Generation Z, and the American Generation Z, and the Americans annoyingly call Generation Z, uh, that there's new openness to the gospel. There's great evidence of that. Uh, The Millennials had a lot of baggage. Gen X hardly knew how to get out of bed. But there's something stirring. Uh, our student worker back in the in the UK, just you know, she, she got saved on Alpha from a completely non-church background. She said at the uh, she said when I went to turn up in town, to be, come to the college here, the dean of the college stood up and his opening address was unbelievably disrespectful about local churches. He felt it necessary to make that part of his speech. And she said to me just a couple of weeks ago, she said, this year all the students, she said, I had never seen such openness. She said, I'm not exaggerating when I say every single one that I invited to church said I'd love to come. Every single one. And when we hear Johannes' story, You know, a few weeks ago, a a, a guy who Sam and I knew years ago, uh, he was in our youth group. From uh, from the most broken background you can possibly imagine, everything that you can imagine, he seemed to have gone through. And he suddenly got in touch with me out of the blue and he said, Pete, I had a dream last night in which you were baptizing me. What does it mean? (laughs) I said, you better come and see me. And he sat next to me on a bench and he sobbed and sobbed as he repented of his sins and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he's come to church every single week since. And I haven't yet seen him in worship, not weeping. He just weeps. He said to me, he said, why do they keep doing that to me? Every song they choose, he said, why, it's not fair. Can you tell him to play other songs? He just weeps through. And you see, God never forgets a single prayer you pray. The Word of God is living and active in our midst. So, all you under 25, especially if you're students, can you just come down the front here, please, now? Nah, we'd love to pray for you. I believe there's people in this room, there's a calling upon you like Anna and Simeon to pray for this generation. To, you, you, you've been raised up as mothers and fathers to pray and to encourage and to support. And if that's you, just would you come down the front now, lay a hand on just a, on a shoulder of someone at the front. Will you pray everything you could possibly have wanted, someone to pray for you at their age. I want you to pray that over them now. So uh, th- those of you... You just, there's something even stirring in your heart now. Just, God, do something. Rescue this generation. Intervene. Come and bless these guys. Come and bless these guys. There's still people standing here needing people to pray with them. Let's make sure no one gets left out. Just pray your best prayer over them. Come, Holy Spirit. The rest of us, let's just stretch out our hands. Lord, you know this generation has been written off again and again. They're just seen as dry bones, and we prophesy to them, come to life. We ask you, Holy Spirit, come from the four corners and animate them and fill them with life. Release your destiny into them, we pray in Jesus' name. Come, beautiful Holy Spirit. Come, breath of God. In every area where there is brokenness, discouragement and death, we ask that you would bring fresh hope and life and joy in the name of Jesus. Give them confidence in who you are and in what you can do through them. Come, Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, I thought what we should do is... um, I thought it might be fun to do the war cry together. Should we do that? Should we do it? Just for old time's sake. So um, remember the way this works is is, is, is we yell, come on. And um, you know, Jesus often prayed in a loud voice. Do you know that? So if if you don't sometimes pray in a loud voice, you're missing out on something Jesus considered essential. If you only pray in a loud voice, you're rude. So you know, we, you know, the, the vision God gave me was an army of young people, and, and I found out they they march on their knees. But 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 there is a certain militancy that is necessary. It is an army that God raises up out of the dry bones. There's a certain defiance that chooses to say, "No, we're not just friends. We're Christians." And, and, and I, I think that we we need a little confidence. So we we're, we're going to cry out. To get together, come on, and you just listen. I'm from the land of Downton Abbey. I have every excuse not to do this, (laughs) but but I just want to I just want to encourage you. Let's let's cry out to God together, and um, remember, what we're doing here in these two words is we're praying first of all upwards, vertically. Let your kingdom come. You may be about to pray this over a particular personal place. Come on. And then we're saying it to ourselves, remember, Bless the Lord, O my soul, that everything that's within me, praise His holy name. We're rebuking, as it were, the apathy. We're stirring ourselves, saying, come on, believe your beliefs. Start doubting your doubts, not the other way around. And then we're saying to the people around us, we're stirring each other up. Uh, and, you know, come on, let's do this together. And so um, in a moment, what we're going to need is the band to stop making such pretty noises and to... <laughs> We want to unleash, like, something strange in their midst. Now, the most important person is, is Glenn, the drummer. I, I, we want to just corporately repent for the way we put drummers in cages because we're, we're slightly scared of, scared of them. And Glenn, in a moment, I need you to go what the message version calls ape. Okay, just absolutely insane. Um, now, electric guitar... <laughs> We, we want something that would make Jimi Hendrix turn in his grave. <laughs> Key, that's nice. Uh, keys, we want some absolute insanity there, please. Acoustic, I don't know what you're going to do. Just um, You'll probably just, just shout a lot. It's always hard to know what to do with the bass guitar, but, but just do what you want to do with the bass. Um, <laughs> And so we're going to cry out to God. We're going to say, come on. This is a short, simple prayer. By the way, uh, some of you are thinking, is this okay? Listen, we just got to shake things up a bit in the church. Amen. And, and, and also, it's quite fun. And if you need a Bible verse for fun, then you're in deep trouble. So um, are you okay? you up for this? Yeah. So. so uh, Um, why don't we we have all all, all you younger guys who want to do so come on the stage come and help us do this we're just going to go a little crazy in a minute come on up come on up come on up okay